and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free or paid subscriptions are available. For paid subscribers, just recently I had an exclusive interview with Nasir Little uh, coming off of his hip injury, talking about kind of the rehab process and getting back. He's been back for a couple of games now, so that's kind of a big development for the Blazers, and I covered that, I think, in a little bit more depth than, you know, other outlets so if you if you were on the fence about becoming a paid subscriber that's something that you could get there the podcast as always is part of the odyssey family i've got my guy mario producing it is on the odyssey app as well as apple spotify anywhere else that you get podcasts youtube make sure you go subscribe on youtube even if you're not going to actually listen or watch on youtube subscribing helps me so go do that I've got a really, really fun podcast today. I've got uh, Bill Oram, who over the summer was hired by the Oregonian as their new sports columnist. Now, I've known Bill for a long, long time because he's been, you know, on the NBA circuit. He covered the Lakers for nine years before this. He, He first at the Orange County Register, then at the Athletic. But, you know, he was there for the last few Kobe years and then the two years in between Kobe and LeBron and then the whole, you know, start of the LeBron era. So he's got some stories from that and obviously covering the a team like the Lakers, which is, you know, a worldwide story every single day is a little bit different than being around a team like the Blazers that for all the issues that they have right now is like relatively stable. So we get into a lot, we go into, we go into all kinds of different directions. We talk some about the current Blazer team and kind of his view on it and we also get into some of the stuff about like some you know some of those Laker teams he's covered and some of the differences between covering those teams and covering this team and some stuff about LeBron and you know some stuff about winning time and you know as somebody who's been around the Lakers you know what he thinks of that show and how accurate he thinks it was and we just we get into a lot of different stuff and it I think this is going to be a fun one for people I I I, I want I've wanted to get him on since he took the job over the summer both because he's a friend of mine and because I've always thought he did really good work on the Laker beat. But with them playing the Lakers this weekend, I just thought that would be a good excuse to do that. But this is a really fun one. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So let's get to that now. Thanks for doing this, Bill. My pleasure. So let me ask you this. I want to start here. Uh, you were, how, how many, what was your first year on the Laker beat? <laughs> My first year on the Laker beat was 2013. So uh, you didn't even have the Nash Dwight year. No, I got there after Kobe had torn his Achilles. Okay. So I, I came back for like the I, – I showed up just in time for everybody expecting Kobe to miraculously run out on opening night with a fully healed Achilles and be back to normal. So in, I, that's, I, think, I think that's kind of what I thought. So let me ask you this. Even with – so this current Blazers team, as much as you know they're very flawed for all the reasons we're going to get into, outside of the Lakers – title team in the bubble in 2020 is this the best team you've ever covered <laughs> um 
I think that I would probably give an edge to the 21 Lakers team. The, the one 2021 that lost Lakers, to Phoenix in the first the round. The one that lost to Phoenix in the first round, but was, you know, I mean, had pretty significant injuries, had a 2-1 lead on Phoenix in the first round. Right. I think that team, I, you know, you know, I, I have been pretty critical of the Lakers and their many flaws for many years, but I think that team probably would have gotten to the finals if, um, if AD hadn't gotten hurt in the first round. So I, I, I think that team, and as well as, as well as the team that won the championship in the bubble, which I think is pretty right. clearly the best Obviously team I've covered. Yeah. But then after that, yeah, I mean, I've covered a lot of losing basketball, Sean, <laughs> and it's not just, it's not just in the NBA either. Like it goes back, it goes back to when I covered college basketball in Utah uh-huh. Um, my first year on the beat covering the University of Utah was um, Larry Krasoviak's first year, the year that the Utes joined the Pac-12, and they won five or six games overall. And in November or December, we ran a big banner headline on the front page of the sports section asking if they were the worst college or worst major basketball team ever, like worst college team ever based on everything. I mean, they lost to San Diego Christian College. Like there was a lot going on with that team. So, um, Did you overlap might- with my guy Jim Boylan? I might have the kiss of death when it comes to college basketball. Uh, Jim was in Salt Lake when I was there. Uh-huh. I did not cover him and didn't know him, but I, I, you know, know him a little bit now through the NBA. Yeah. So, so, so you weren't you weren't there when he was the coach at, at Utah because that was apparently legendary. I had him with the Bulls briefly, and that you know. <laughs> yeah, I took I took over the beat the year after he got fired, and yeah. all and and Krasoviak came in and essentially like you know, cleaned house, like all the players who had been there with Boylan transferred. And so Krasoviak had to fill out a roster on really short notice and ended up with a bunch of Chuko guys. I mean, you might've been able to start at center, Sean. Uh, that's actually a joke that, uh, that Chauncey Billups makes a lot. Not about me. I don't think I would start at center on any teams, but like sometimes like when, when they had, this, this is more so true last year, you know, the second half mm-hmm. of the year after they shut Dame down and traded everyone and they were starting like Kelgen Blevins and, uh, Elijah Hughes for like multiple games and playing them 35 minutes a game we would be asking Chauncey who the starters were going to be in that game and he would say well I'm going to start Aaron Fentress at at small forward I'm going to start Jason Quick at power forward (laughs) like I don't think he actually said he was going to start me which like I couldn't I don't know I I couldn't even make the cut on like that version of the Blazers that he was starting with all the beat (laughs) writers so yeah, I mean, listen, that was a good, those were good. That was a good Blazers team, based on what I saw. They beat the they beat they beat the Lakers before the All Star break. So um, <laughs> that, was, that was I came I, I came up here and watched that. I came away impressed. I was like, Kelgen Blevins, get that get that guy a multi year yeah. deal. Dame's cousin. There you go. I don't even <laughs> he's I think he just signed in Romania. I saw the other day. So he's he's still grinding. He's still getting after it. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 looks like in Bucharest. Okay, That's something like something like that. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, like Dame, Dame couldn't get him a job on like the player development staff or something with the. I mean, I don't know. He got he got he got him. He got him two years of a two way contract. That's I guess. Yeah, but if you're a player, you'd rather be playing overseas right. and like chasing sure, the sure. dream and like trying to work your way back to the league than you know than at, at like how old's Kelgen Blevins? Like <laughs> poor Kelgen Blevins. This is we're, he's 27. You he's know, a good, so it's he's like, a good guy. We're not trying to. Yeah, like, yeah. So it's like he like. You know, it makes sense. Like, you know, he's going to chase the dream as long as he can. Like, I would too. I think that that's that's one of the things about about basketball and like guys trying to get to the NBA uh-huh. it take, takes them to a lot of pretty crazy places sometimes. Well, that's kind of one of the guys that is on this team that has kind of taken. He he wasn't playing like overseas multiple years, but just like kind of a cir- 
circuitous. You, you know the word I'm saying. I, I, that that's one of the few words I like. I, I can't pronounce. Like a like he, he took a very writers, long. Writers, not talkers. Yes, yes, exactly. Like we, you know, the 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 do the podcast because that's where the ad money is and the YouTube money and all that stuff now. But yes, we are we are we are writers of the written word. But he took a you know very long route to being an entrenched NBA rotation player, and that's Gary Payton the second, who mm-hmm. you know we've seen over the last couple of weeks or so the impact that he has actually had on the team like since he's finally gotten healthy and you know there was a whole weird situation with his recovery from the surgery the core muscle you know all that stuff but now he's yeah. finally back and it's like okay yeah this is exactly what they signed him to do it's, it's kind of changed the tone of the team i felt like yeah i think when you talk look at how like chauncey talked about the team early on about uh-huh. how they were going to be so tenacious defensively and and they were going to be so connected and it was going to start with the defense and I, I think that that was really based on having, you know, starting with Gary Payton. I think that you right. know, Gary Payton is kind of the heart of that. And you've got other guys, Justice Winslow, Nasir Little, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, you know, as a defender in, in, you know, throughout his career. So, you know, I think that it really conceptually made a lot of sense. And we still haven't seen it at full strength, right? We haven't seen, we haven't seen Gary Payton and, and Justice Winslow all healthy at the same time. But just getting Gary Payton back, feels like you know you've finally gotten over the you know you kind of you've kind of crested the ridge on that one a little bit so seeing that seeing him pick guys up 94 feet nobody else is doing that on this team um they also haven't had the depth to really deploy anybody to pick up 94 feet but like seeing seeing gary payton kind of take that on and and be that guy you know especially after a long layoff you can tell that he's eager you know he wants to make his make his mark and and show that he was worth the contract and so I thought, you know, that first game that he played, I can't remember who they played in that first game when he came Detroit. back, but Detroit, you know, I mean, he's disrupting inbounds passes. He's picking up, you know, he's getting steals. Um, that's what they signed him to do. And, you know, he's a guy who makes any team. I wonder he makes any team like 10% better. You know what I mean? And so if he's like, you know, on a bad team, like he would get more numbers and he'd make them incrementally better. Like he's not going to turn a lottery team into a playoff team, but he can turn a, you know, a back end playoff team into a team that wins a first round series, or he can turn a two seed into an NBA champion. Like I think that, you know, whatever team he's on, he's going to just kind of, you know, crank up the intensity enough in a meaningful way to like elevate the team from whatever tier they're into the next. And that's something Chauncey has talked about too since he's come back. Is that you can physically, and you know, this is something that I even noticed in those first couple of games that he played. You can just like physically notice and tangibly notice everybody else on the floor playing harder on defense when he checks into the game because he has that kind of quality where it's like if you're not playing as hard as he is on that end, you look bad. And I, you know, I, so I covered Gary in LA. Uh, when he was on a two-way there. Um, but I see it almost as like the Alex Caruso effect. That's exactly who and, I was going to bring and, up. And and it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, Alex Caruso is... at Alex Caruso, I think, is a little more refined at what Gary Payton does than uh-huh. Gary... I mean, I think, I think Alex is a little bit better at it. Um, but, you know, both those guys have that same impact where they come in, they start diving after balls, and, like, you see it, you know, in the superstars, too. It's not just... You know, all of a sudden, you know, Nasir Little thinks he needs to be getting after it a little bit more too. You don't want to be the guy on the floor who isn't holding up his his weight defensively when you see, you know, a guy, you know, bodying up, you know, you know, really 
embracing those switches. Like I, I think that you just love that intensity. And so seeing guys um, sort of try to mimic that intensity is, is really um, cool. And, and, and something that I think the Blazers were, were lacking. I think they were lacking some of that defensive focus and just sort of want to, when you saw like that losing streak, you know, the game at Oklahoma, the games at Oklahoma city, Yeah, they needed just sort of that more disruptive presence. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, we're going to get to April and be like, Oh, thank God the Blazers had Gary Payton this year. You know, once we, once things kind of shake out, but you know, after another cycle of roster building, um, you know, I, I think he's going to still be a really big difference maker for this team, you know, over the next three-year contract, right? Over the life of his contract. Two years with a player option, which I would I would, I would, guess if he stays yeah. healthy, he probably declines that player option yeah. and gets another. But, but yes, essentially, yeah. Uh, either he's def, definitely the next year, possibly the year yeah. after is, the, is kind of the point. You, it's interesting you bring you bring up the next cycle of roster building. This is something I've just always been trying to tell people because I'm I'm sure you're also getting whether you know on Twitter or mm-hmm. since you work for a newspaper, I'm sure you have like readers emailing letters. You, is, They're called letters, Sean. Right, but do you actually do you actually get like physical letters or is it all is it all emails at this point? Do you still I get like t- physical letters in your, like your your newspaper like in email like mailbox or whatever? Is I will tell you. I will tell you that I went into the newsroom. Uh, shortly before Christmas, and I hadn't been in for a while, and I also didn't know that I had an, a mailbox. I just okay. didn't know. Uh-huh. Like so, somebody had like said, been like, "Bill, we sent you a copy of, of Ralph Lawler's new book. Did you get it?" And I was like, "No, I didn't." Like, do you have my address? They're like, "Well, we sent it to the Oregonian." I'm like, "Oh, who knows where that ended up?" <laughs> and then I, and I, I, I went in before Christmas, and it had been sitting there for a couple of months, and interspersed with a few um, a few books that people were hoping that I would uh, say something kind about. There were uh, there were a couple of letters, um, you know, I, they were a little bit dated at that point, but just I, letters I about like, oh, the Ducks lost this game. I'm mad about it. I'm gonna write a write a physical letter to the Oregonian sports. Yeah, like there was one sport. that was like, you know, I think you should look into this. I think there's some uh, tomfoolery going on in the, uh, you know, high school activities association. Um, I think that you should, you know, write more about, you know, why why Ty Thompson doesn't get meaningful snaps for the ducks, you know, whatever. I mean, um, essentially the, the, they're just the, uh, like I get a lot of, um, emails from, you know, older readers. Right. Yeah. And then I think that the letters are from the even older readers. Probably <laughs> basically just the analog version of checking your mentions yeah. on Twitter, which is great by the way. Like I love it. No, like, absolutely. I, work new, I, I work for a newspaper. Like, I mean, my newspaper gets thrown at the front of my driveway four days a week. Like, I love getting an actual letter. It's a real pleasant surprise. It's a really I'm... pleasant surprise. Somebody took, took took the time to like to put a stamp on something, you know, seal an envelope. My wife wants me to, um, my wife wants me to start a, a, a feature series where like I invite uh, story requests or ideas from readers, but they have to send it in an actual letter because if you aren't going to willing to go to the trouble to put it in a stamp or put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it, then it probably isn't worth it. So that's something she's been nudging me to do. We'll see if it happens. That's actually a good idea. Mm-hmm. She has but, great ideas. But kind of what I was what I was getting at was that you and I both get a lot of feedback from readers. Your show. Sorry, Sean. About, no, 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 dude, this is, this is great. Whenever I have someone on, I always, you know, want it to kind of go in whatever direction it goes. And people listen to me talk all the time. People don't, you know. Yeah. But, but, but anyway, like, you and I both get a lot of feedback from our various mm-hmm. you know readers audience whatever about how they're feeling about this team right now and the thing i keep ha- and you know obviously right now people who are following the blazers aren't thrilled with 
the way things have gone over the last month or so. And the thing that I have to keep reminding people of is that they've been very upfront and open about this being not the final product, not being the version of the roster that they think is going to contend. And it's going to be, I don't know what they're going to do with the deadline. I think they're going to do something, probably not Mm -hmm. anything huge, but something like they'll, you know, switch it. Joe will probably switch out, you know, a couple of bench guys for a couple of other bench guys that maybe fit better. But where do you see them as like, if we agree that they're a work in progress, where do you kind of Mm -hmm. see them at right now, as far as like how far along it is towards being like the finished product? I wrote something kind of along those lines this last week, which yeah. was, you know, I think in the early season when they were 10 and four and, you know, you know, Amphrey Simons was, was scorching hot and Jeremy was, you know, really comfortable and, and Josh looked really good. I think, you know, that I know I let myself sort of think, wow, maybe they're a lot closer than we thought. Uh-huh. Like maybe they are like one or two, maybe one, one move away from like, you know, moving into the top three or four in the West. And then over the course of the season, like some of that has, has faded for me. And like, cause like I was at a point where I was like, oh no, you can't think about trading shade and sharp because you're, you're close enough without a shade and sharp. You don't, that's not a piece you need to push to get, to get there. Um, I'm not sure that's as true now, but again, it's like, we're still, it's still very reactive to, you know, fairly minor swings in a season. Like the Blazers are more or less where I kind of thought they would be at this point. You know, I thought they would be, roughly around 500 i thought being over 500 this year would be a success you know they're 21 and they're two games under right 2023 um you know that's still very attainable you know they might check in a little bit under 500 uh, so might you know the, the warriors you know the suns <laughs> like the west is wacky this year and i you know dame has alluded to this a couple of times i think that part of the frustration is there is an opportunity here for a team to be you know four games over 500 and sitting pretty in the West and the Blazers have let enough games go where they were in position to, to, to be where Sacramento is right now, you know, and Sacramento is not a team that, you know, I think we viewed as being particularly, you know, better for than last year, but not, not going to be world beaters, you know, probably kind of in the same mix as the Blazers, you know, mm-hmm. I, I thought opening night was kind of a, a good sort of like matchup, frankly, of two teams that were going to be sort of in the, the play in mix and to see Sacramento now, you know, and I think this is all gonna evolve. Gonna I don't think I don't think Sacramento is necessarily gonna be hosting a playoff series, but like, you know, the way the West has been has created that opportunity. And I think that you know the Blazers should be kicking themselves a little bit that they're not there because I mean, however good you can be this year is just an even more meaningful springboard toward whatever next year is. And and it does help you. It does make you feel better about what what moves you need to make or you know allows you to be maybe a little more surgical about the moves you make you know i don't think they're in desperation mode by any stretch but they should be a little bit better with the roster they have i think like the record should be a little bit better that said there have there was about a month where if you looked at a box score and you looked at their bench you know and again credit to chon like i you know maybe it's just because i've covered teams where there was so much scrutiny that there was kind of just a lot of like um just a lot of like kind of puckering up when it came to information uh-huh. but like listening to like you know joe cronin talk about you know knowing where they that the, where they are in their evolution and knowing that they you know have other moves to make listening to chauncey say hey like we're playing our starters too much and then when we don't play our starters we're playing teenagers and third stringers like yeah you're playing you know jabari walker and shade and sharp 
you know, real minutes in games that, you know, you're losing by three and four points. And games you're also trying to win. It's not a situation where, like... Totally. Like, if, like, if Shane... I was just talking... I just went on Seth Partnow's uh, pod, your Mm -hmm. your former athletic colleague. I went on his podcast yesterday, and we were talking about... uh, you know, Shade and Sharp playing, and it's like if if he had gotten drafted by like a Houston or a San Antonio, where they're trying to tank, he yeah. could play thirty five minutes a game and just get up twenty yeah. shots every night, and yeah. it wouldn't matter because it's just about trying to develop him. But the fact that he's even playing twenty minutes a game on a team that's actually trying to win and trying to make the playoffs is, you know, it's a lot to ask. And it says it says a lot about like the the the, the current state of the roster. I think you know in the preseason, I remember media day, you know, there were a lot of questions about Shaden Sharp and mm-hmm. would he play? Would he be in the rotation? And I didn't think he would. I mean, he was, on, and he ended up playing, you know, really since opening night, he's yeah. been in the rotation and, and, you know, there've been great moments. There have been, you know, some good, really good stretches. And then there've been somewhere you're just like, this kid has no idea what he's doing. And that is okay. I mean, you look around, I mean, for as for as young as he is, for as green as he is, I think you're totally fine with where Shaden Sharp is in his development. But like you said, you know he would not be, um, you know there wouldn't be the level of um, accountability I think for him if he was if he was somewhere else. Um, but I think he's I think this is a really good situation to be an 18 year old who is being asked to contribute to because like you know you're you're not in you know L.A. or New York where there's you know constant pressure and scrutiny you're you're getting meaningful minutes in the nba you know a fan base isn't living and dying with every single um you know high and low i mean of course well they kind of are they kind of are here fans are excited but it's not like you know i mean it's not the weight of the franchise isn't on him right like i mean it's dame's team you know dame is still here for the foreseeable future it's not like this is a team that you know tanked and then got went into the draft and got Shaden sharp and now it's his team like I think he's in really good position to develop and be a really good player, um, maybe a great player in you know a couple of years. Like I don't think he's that far away. What was that dynamic like uh, in LA? The first LeBron, like the pre-Anthony Davis LeBron year, where it was LeBron and the kids. It was like Lonzo Ingram, uh, you know, Josh Hart, like all, all the all these kids with LeBron, and like was was it was a kind of a similar because you were just talking about like there not being that much yeah. scrutiny on Shade and Sharp because it doesn't yeah. play in a major market. I feel like it would be kind of the opposite of a situation like that year in LA where it's like, if LeBron is on the team, the expectation is to win a title. So why aren't these kids further along in their development than they ended up being? Yeah. I mean, I liked that team to be honest. Well, cause I liked all those young guys. I, I, I loved covering Josh when he was, when he yeah. was young and, and, and Brandon and you know, those Lonzo. guys are all good guys. Yeah. And Lonzo was kind of a, um, you know, was in a really unique. That was spot its own with, thing. With, because with, with, but those. like, you know, he was, but I mean, he was like, again, like, you know, good guy, you know, good player, you know, was learning how to be a pro, but, you know, Julius Randle, you know, had become like a really, really good player by the time he left. I guess he left the year before he left the summer LeBron came in, but um, I liked that team a lot because it really, you know, I thought it was fun to sort of try to see which guys clicked with LeBron and which guys like would, would stick and hang around because, I didn't really, I, I think I was disappointed that that team ended up being so disappointing that the only real path forward was to trade them all. Because I think like, you know, ideally you would have found a move to, you know, build out a roster around LeBron and 
Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, you know, or, you know, keep, you know, um, keep 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 Josh Hart and Lonzo and and move BI for someone else because BI would have you know been a little redundant with LeBron because they both have the ball in their hands so much whatever it is like I hate I kind of hated seeing like a total purge of that of that group of you know the kids so to speak uh what's my dog have hold on I'm gonna get something from my dog okay all right <laughs> Mario you'll be able to edit this right Oh, no, this is staying in the pot. Oh, yeah. He's chewing up a plastic steak. So. All right. So, so what, so what you don't know is that I do the, is that I'll do the, you're, you're going to be able to edit this, right? And then keep that in the pod just for, you know, for, for, for effect. Nobody, nobody's ever done that before. Nobody's ever left It'll something be, in a. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a test to see if I actually go back and listen because you, you, I assume that you're going to edit it out. And then, but if you leave it, do I, you, would, I, would I ever know? Do you go back and listen to your. No, that sounds like that. Now that I say that, I realize it sounds sociopathic. I do. Like, I I do it though. Like, or I I think I I think I do it a little bit less now that I have somebody else actually editing my stuff, and I don't have to worry about it sounding good. But back when I used to do this b- before I signed with Odyssey, and I had to do like all the yeah. editing and production and stuff on my own, I would actually yep. go back and listen to it and see like if I actually sounded okay or if the production was okay. But now 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 I more so don't really do that but it it is actually not you know i don't think it's it's sociopathic to go back and listen to your own stuff i just i i I turn i turn on the sound of my voice to fall asleep just the soothing (laughs) soothing tones of my own dulcet (laughs) but anyway so what you were saying about like the you know wanting to see the lebron with the kids lineup kind of develop and maybe be a multi-year thing i think you and i both know that the minute Anthony Davis signed with Clutch, even if those kids mm-hmm. actually had developed and it turned out that that team actually did fit really well around LeBron, they were going to trade them for Anthony Davis because that was yeah, just what I mean, was set up. I mean, I think it was probably mismanaged to a point where I don't know, you know, I'd have to go back and look like, you know, if, if there was a version where, you know, the Lakers could have, you know, held on to one of those guys, you know, uh-huh. if, or swap or even swap a, you know, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. Like, you would have been better off trading Kuzma, you know, than Lonzo, let's say. But because I mean, Kuzma was pretty important on that title. Kuzma Kuzma ends up making a huge difference on a title team, right? Yeah. Um, You know, and Lonzo's had his injuries, but um, I don't know. I was. It was. It was just kind of. I mean, I don't care, right? But like, it was. It was disappointing to because I'd been through the um, the years of of tanking and like really like invested in those those long seasons of like, you know, the team's not going to be good, but there is a draft pick at the end of it. And by the way, we're going to develop Jordan Clarkson this year and like give Jordan Clarkson a chance to become a guy. And so you, then you, you know, you put a lot of coverage effort into, into Jordan Clarkson, you know, getting to know him, you know, getting to know the people around him, um, you know, kind of covering his arc and trajectory. And then, you know, and he becomes a very good player. And then, you know, one day he's just, boom, traded for, you know, cap space to Cleveland so it, on the off chance they can sign LeBron. Um, and same with, like, those other guys. You know, like, you know, Julius Randle was the first, you know, that was the highest draft pick they'd had since James Worthy. And, you know, seeing him go from a guy who breaks his leg on opening night to, you know, a really, you know, high-level, you know, nah, I don't want to overstate it. He wasn't, an, he wasn't that all-star caliber player yet. But, I mean, he'd become, like, a you know, quality starting four in the NBA. And it just becomes so transactional. And so then to see how easily you know 
three or four of those guys got you know traded for Anthony Davis, who by the way is insanely good. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean that's I, that, that's I, the thing. I as much as like we like, I understand the business of it, but right? Like, just like, being up close with that team for a long time, you know, I very much enjoyed kind of the 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 build uh-huh. and the and the kind of struggle of building a winner through the draft and with those guys. And I kind of like the idea of LeBron, you know, learning to um, play with the play with them and like, and, and elevating those guys to, you know, winning basketball players. And it, we didn't get to see it because that year was so, was so bad that, you know, there was really only one option, which was, you know, trade them all for Brady, which I mean, obviously worked out. They were yeah. That's the thing is like as much as you know you and I can say you know we wish that we had been able to see LeBron with the kids like you mm-hmm. make that trade for Anthony Davis every single time and like I know yep. they I know they gave up a lot but you should have to mm-hmm. give up a lot for Anthony Davis. That's the part of it that in I think 20 in people, 2019. Yeah. yeah. I mean maybe maybe now with all the injuries and stuff like maybe his his value would be lower but at the time like coming off this like the season that he was having in New Orleans that year before he like asked for a trade and blew up the whole season like that that was like he was putting up like whatever his stat I don't have it off the top of my head but whatever his stat line was was like something that like only Kareem had done like in his MVP season at that point yeah no I mean he was I mean he was unbelievable and even now like you know if Anthony Davis was like true if the if the Lakers were going to tear it down and they were going to trade AD like I would be fascinated to know what his um what his value would look like for because everything you're describing I mean he looked even this year before he got hurt right and which is the kind of but that's always caveat. the thing with him. That's the perennial caveat. But like, he was playing as well as he has since the bubble, um, this this fall. And so I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's he's still that guy, but he's also the guy who's only going to give you forty one games a year. One thing that I've kind of been thinking about lately, that's kind of a difference between, you know, this version of the Blazers and maybe some of those Laker teams that you covered, is that. And this is something that I've, you know, another another reason that I've kind of been telling people I am pretty, I don't want to say optimistic because I think their ceiling is like maybe winning a first round series, but with with as constructed, no, because no, assuming they do something at the deadline okay. to balance the roster okay. a little bit, but the biggest thing, and this is something that was never true of any of those Lakers teams that you covered, you know, in the LeBron era. The three most important people in the organization, those franchise player, the head coach, and the general manager, are completely on the same page and completely in lockstep about, like, what the plan is and what the vision is, which was completely the opposite of every single one of those years that you covered LeBron. Because, like, I mean, like, like, let's, let's be, I mean, you won't disagree with this, I'm sure, but, like, LeBron did not go to the Lakers as a basketball decision. He did not go there because he was like, you know, I really just, I just really believe in the team building vision that Jeannie Buss and Rob Polinka have. He went there because he wanted to live in LA, make movies. He liked the idea of being a Laker. He also knew that the Lakers were so desperate for any kind of relevance that they would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. You can sign here. And then, you know, we'll just, you know, you can, we'll, we'll sign like seven clutch guys for the bench and just kind of let you dictate all of our personnel moves. And now you're, you're kind of starting to see now like that, you know, he's starting, like, they're, they're starting to push back a little bit about, like, hey, maybe we don't want to trade all of our picks for, you know, yeah. Miles Turner or some guy that's going to not really move the needle to make us a contender. And LeBron's, like, giving all these, like, passive-aggressive interviews to Amick and to and to McMiniman. Where, like, he's like, I didn't come here to lose. And it's like, dude, right. you came here to be a Laker. You came here for the legacy brand stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think LeBron... 
believed that there was enough basketball potential, uh-huh. you know, whether it was, and I think that the thing that we, that, that has to be acknowledged about the, 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 that young team was, I think that it gave him kind of two, two paths, right? You come and either those guys are good and like, and they, they rise to the challenge and you're good with those young guys, or they give you the trade ballast to go out and, and get, and get that, that second headliner. If one of them doesn't become that guy. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think that there was, there was basketball logic to it. I mean, there were times in the Lakers history where, I mean, like you remember when the Lakers tried to sign LaMarcus Aldridge yeah. or when the Lakers went after Carmelo Anthony in 2014, or, um, they also had interest in LeBron in in 2010, you know, and there was no room for him. But like, I think the Lakers had done the work to make uh, to make LA appealing enough of a destination for um, for LeBron. And so, but yeah, of course. I mean, like, he wanted to live in LA. He had lots of other things he wanted to do in LA. He was at the point of in his life where he didn't care what people thought or if people thought that he, you know was more interested in the business stuff or the, the movie stuff than the, than the, um, than the basketball. And, you know, he made it work. I mean, so with credit to him, I mean, that he, you know, was able to build something sort of out of, you know, what was not seen as a wildly promising situation, but you're right. You are right though, that there was, because all the pieces, like when you talk about like the three most important people in the organization, it was Rob Polinka's Kobe's guy. Yes. LeBron comes in when Rob is not the, the main man, right? That ma- that's magic at that point in time. Uh, magic is kind of the lead recruiter, if you will, on LeBron. Um, in as much as it took a recruiter, right. and then um, you know, and then the coaching seat was kind of a little bit of a revolving door. I mean, LeBron's been in LA for five years; he's had three head coaches. So, um, you know, I think that really it's more of a LeBron-driven operation, and then sort of, and sort of, you know, what can everyone else in that orbit do to sort of play their part, you know, to, you know, deliver a a team that is commensurate with LeBron, but like, you know, in Portland, it's, I think it's also sort of driven bottom up, right? Like where it's, you know, player coach and GM. And what's, and what's interesting about Portland, of course, is that, you know, you know, Joe was not the GM who hired, who hired um, Chauncey Billups, which doesn't mean that he wasn't like, you know, part of it and, you know, hugely on board, but like, talking to Joe Cronin about both Chauncey Billups and Damian Lillard, it's very clear, like how much faith he has in, in both of those guys. And like, maybe part of that is um, a uh, professional necessity, right? Like you can't assume the role of GM of the trailblazers, you know, and, and not be in on Damian Lillard and Chauncey Billups, considering some of the kind of organizational values at this point. Um, But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he has talked about to me about, you know, trusting Damian Lillard, you know, more than anybody else on earth. So when people talk about, well, would the Blazers trade Dame or whatever, if people are still talking about that at this moment. Um, I think know, that's mostly finally most, mostly quelled. Right. But like, but like, no, like, unless, unless there was a real reason to like, I mean, Joe Cronin firmly, if he asked that, for it, I think they would try. To yeah. Joe Cronin right firmly believes that you can win a championship with Damian Lillard as your, as your, as your, as your top player, you know, between now and the end of and the, and the end of his contract. So it's, um, you know, there, there is a whole lot of trust there and a lot of faith, um, you know, top, top to bottom and a lot, and a lot of synergy. Whereas, you know, when I covered the other team, the team down South, it felt Uh like there were a lot of forces that were kind of always pulling in different directions. 
Well, the other part of it, I think, is that Dame's style of having input into these things is a lot more like like Dame like Dame does have his opinions about like players that he wants or you know he 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 had you know input into you know different moves that they've made like he pushed pretty mm-hmm. hard for Jeremy Grant but he also I think is smart enough to know that he's not the head coach and he's not the general manager and that those right. two people just just like you know he knows more about being a franchise player and you know being an NBA superstar yeah. than than either of those guys do he knows, I think, that Chauncey knows more about coaching than he does, and that Joe knows more about, like, front office salary cap machination. So when he goes and pushes for a player, first of all, I think Dame is a smart enough, like, basketball guy to know that, like, like he pushed for Jeremy Grant, and part of that was that Jeremy Grant is his boy, and, like, they had a relationship from Team USA. But also Dame, like, knows his himself and his game and his playing style well enough to know that Jeremy Grant would be a good fit and that's why he pushed for him but he also didn't go to Joe and say if you don't trade for Jeremy Grant I'm gonna ask you to trade like yeah like he he you know he and you know I see this all the time like both last year after you know the front office changes happened and then you know also this year like I I usually you know I get to the arena probably a little earlier than a lot of other you know reporters do and I usually spend a lot of time when the bowl is open out on the court just sitting by one of the baselines just watching and just seeing what I see. And Joe is usually out there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times Dame is usually out there. And the two of them usually will just like sit there and talk for like 30 or 45 minutes at a time. Like yeah. this happens routinely. Like Dame is very much like involved in everything that's going on, but he also knows that he's not the GM and that Joe is going to know more about like which trades are actually right. on the table and what other teams are willing to do and what their salary cap situation is and what this does for this part of the, mm-hmm. like Joe knows more about that stuff than Dame does. And I think Dame respects that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And I think that, um, I think that, I think that, you know, whatever moves the Blazers make, you know, are going to be made with, you know, Damian Lillard in mind, right? Like everything is going right. to be sort of, how do we push this current product, you know, as far as it can go? I mean, I don't foresee another reshaping, right? Of, of the roster, unless it is a, unless it is like an Anthony Davis trade, you know, or a, a Kevin Durant deal, or, I mean, there, I mean, I think that for the most part, your, your core is going to be Damian Lillard, Jeremy Grant, you know, and then maybe everything else is sort of on the table. Um, you know, you know, Simons, Simons and like, Sharp are the two that I would be surprised if get traded. Right now, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, it depend. Again, it totally depends on on who becomes available. But like, right. you know, David Aldridge. You know, the great David Aldridge had a piece this week in the Athletic, uh, the Hall of Famer David Aldridge. Yes. By the way, you have um, to refer to him by his official title. Uh. H-O-F-D-A. And yes. he um, he had a piece that was sort of a look at the teams that would maybe trade for LeBron James. And <laughs> as a thought exercise, and he's very clear it's a thought exercise, yes. but I, I appreciate thought exercises. I had a thought exercise earlier this season on whether I thought in a, if, the, if, if the Blazers should include Shaden Sharp in a trade for Kevin Durant. Like, because I think that that's like the kind of question. And you came down you were, on no at the time, right? I did. I did. Do you still feel that way? Less so. Less so. Um, but <clears throat> only because, like, I'm high enough. I was, at the time, high enough on Shaden Sharp, and I'm still high on him, to say that, like, 
I would rather take a little bit of a roll of the dice that in three years, he's going to be enough of that like frontline starter that, you know, I don't have to also include, you know, Simons and, you know, whoever else to make that deal work. Like I can get there internally. Um, I, th- I think I'm a little bit more now, like if you can get, if you can get KD and put KD on this team, I guess I think you just do it. Right. Um, and you, and you suffer the long-term consequences. But I mean, if you have a guy who can be, who can be an all-star for 10 years, you know, if, if, if he's that guy, that's a hard thing to, to pass up when, you know, KD's only got, you know, however many years left. But so anyway, fan of thought exercises, but David Aldridge, you may have seen this piece, Sean. I actually um, did, yeah. He put, he put the Blazers sort of in the middle on the LeBron thing as sort of being uh, kind of interesting, but not yet good enough where, you know, it would make sense to trade for LeBron. And I would put them higher. Like I would put them high. I would put them in the mix of teams that would make sense. Like he, he came down on there being like six teams, like Atlanta, Phoenix, you know, a couple others. I would probably put the Blazers in that mix. I think the Blazers could put together a trade package in the event. I feel like I'm turning into Aaron Fentress because this is a big Aaron Fentress talking point. <laughs> but in the event LeBron like were to ask out of LA next year or in the summer, I think the Blazers package would be up there, you know, depending on what the Lakers want. Like if you could offer Simon's sharp and, and, and trade and Eric, sorry, and draft compensation, like that might be two starters for the next 12 years. Like I just, I don't know. Um, I don't see a whole lot of offers that are that much more compelling than that date. LeBron could play next to Dame, you know, I mean, which is something that obviously he has at least some stated interest in. Um, I don't think anybody really ever imagined it being in Portland. Anyway, I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's that realistic, but I just would have put the Blazers in a different tier of that conversation if I was, if I was DA or if DA had asked me. So the thing that I think people don't realize about, I, I'm, I'm looking at this. I did read this piece when it came out. Uh, that is that like you know there's only a certain amount of franchises that i think lebron would dignify playing for and they have to be like prestige legacy brands that's kind of a, a thing that i that i like he's not gonna go play for the atlanta hawks like i'm sorry like i know you, you can or the new like the new orleans pelicans are on here like i understand that like yeah they probably have like the best trade package or whatever in a vacuum but like it is like beneath LeBron's dignity to play. Like you know, he played for the uh, Cleveland's a different thing because he was born you know in Ohio. But if he has, the, but if he has the opportunity to play for the franchise that once uh, that once employed Kelgen Blevins, like he's got he's got to jump at that. I actually first look. Do you do you think LeBron does end his career with the Lakers? Oh man, I do probably think that he does. So I have a, I have a, I have a, this is like half serious, but also like an actually probably more serious than I, you know, am presenting it as, but I have a theory as to where LeBron is actually going to end his career and which team is magic. No. Uh, so as, as I've just, as we've established, LeBron has to play for a prestige, like, like historical, like legacy brand befitting of his stature, right? The Seattle supersonics. No, although the ru- the rumor is that the Fenway group that he's already like bought in with on the mm-hmm. on the uh, the Liverpool and the Red Sox is going to get the, the Vegas team, and he did that press yeah. like that. That's the one rumor. Yeah, he's he's didn't he say like Adam, I want the team in Vegas. Yes, and he said that because like plans are already in motion for yeah. them to get the Vegas team. But anyway, but 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 let's say that one doesn't happen because I don't think expansion is going to happen by the time he retires. 
because it's, yes, it's, it's just too, it's, it's just too far down the road. Like it's going to be Seattle and Vegas, but like the TV deal has to get done first, and then it's like a couple years of ramp up. I don't think he's going to yeah. still be playing in 2028. But anyway, what is a historical prestige legacy brand that has been linked very strongly to LeBron in free agency, going back to the first time he was a free agent in 2010? That is so thirsty for that type of relevance that they would absolutely say, yeah, we'll use our first round pick to draft Bronny so that we get the LeBron farewell tour. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about the Knicks. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. C- c- couldn't you see that? And also wouldn't it be the most Knicks thing ever to get like 44 year old actually watch LeBron when they finally get LeBron? Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> Which I actually thought would be the most Lakers thing ever when they got him. And I wrote once or twice that he seemed to be over- past his prime. And then he, Nope. Prove me wrong. <laughs> no, but even this the year, one, he's still the, incredible. The one that uh, I actually went back and looked at this the other day. Um, the Lakers played a game at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Uh-huh. And LeBron just, I, I can't remember if he was, he was, I think he was still on, he, he'd come back from the torn groin, but like he was still dealing with the groin. And he, uh, this was the, that first year we've talked about. And he, yeah. um, and he, like, the, the, I think the Lakers had, like, a seven-point lead with 90 seconds left, and uh-huh. it just frittered it away. And LeBron took three shots in the last minute, like, two, like, long threes with a lead. And then when they were down by one or two, one or two, I don't remember, yeah. um, he, like, backs down Mario Hazonia, who blocks LeBron's potential game winner. And Lakers I was like, legend Mario Hazonia. I'm like, if, 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 if LeBron is getting blocked on a game winner by Mario Hazonia at the Garden, like, maybe it's just over. <laughs> well, I mean, in Mario Hazonia's mind, those two are on equal planes. That's I know, the thing. It's, a, it's incredible. It's I had incredible. I had Mario for a year here in Portland. I, re- I mean, I like him a lot as a guy. He's like a huge trash talker, kind of a fun guy to talk to. But he genuinely thinks he's one of the best players in the NBA. The LeBron stopper, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I kind of felt bad for Knicks beat writers last year because LeBron missed their game at MSG, and so they didn't have the opportunity to carry on the 15-year tradition of asking LeBron how special MSG is to play in. That's a story every single year with him. Going it, back and, it to... was with, and it was with Kobe, too. You know, oh, yeah. like it was always, you know, when, when, when Kobe would roll through, you know, it'd be these epic press conferences and it'd be like, oh, how great was it to be back here where you scored, you know, 62 <laughs> points and, you know, it's oh, great. It's really, it's really great. That's, that's what I'm saying about like LeBron only playing for like a legacy brand franchise, because like you have, it has to be in order to be of LeBron's dignity and like, Credit to the Miami Heat because they built they 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 only started in the late '80s, so they're not one of like the original NBA franchises yeah. from the '60s. But they've built like Pat Riley has built that thing into like an organization that has that sort of reputation. So they're sort of like grandfathered in. But like this is kind of what I'm saying about like LeBron is not going to go to the Memphis Grizzlies that doesn't have like this 50 or 60 Ooh, year like tradition. I like that one. No, like from a basketball one. standpoint, that's a great fit. But like. It's beneath like the the sta- you know you know what I'm you know what I'm saying right like the the whole reason he I went do. to do the- I wonder why did LeBron I, not even look at the Clippers if he wanted to live in L A and go and play for no you know, I, I an actual it. competent organization is what I, I'm saying I I get it and I I think that you know all things being equal you're right but like if LeBron decides he doesn't want to be with the Lakers anymore he might have to widen his scope just a little bit. Uh-huh. How that happy said, are you? I, that... I, I do think he's I do think he's going to retire at Laker. I think that like yeah. I think he is at 38 years old. I think that quality of life matters. His you know you know 
I think he has really benefited and enjoyed being able to watch Bronny play his games. You know, Bryce has a couple years left. Zuri is, God, Zuri might be 10 by now. Like, I mean, so it's like, I think, I think being home with his family, you know, at their actual home is, um, is something that he is not going to be very eager to give up. Yeah. How happy are you that this isn't your problem anymore? You know, it's really funny because like I did, I, I, I devoted like a decade of my life to covering the Lakers yes. and it became a big part of my identity. And, you know, uh, the opportunity to come to the Oregonian and 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 take on this uh, this job was maybe the biggest no brainer of my life. Maybe the second biggest no brainer of my wife since mar- or my life since marrying my wife. Yeah, and got to put that I, caveat in. And I, um, but I really thought like I'm going to have like severe FOMO or I'm going to like feel this hole because I, you know, this has just been a big part of me and you know the kind of the uh, the highs and lows and the drama and you know being being on the road with you know you, you know the other writers or you know the comp- your competitors but like you know Dave McMenamin, Dan Wakey, Kyle Goon are, are some of my closest friends too so it's like this is just going to be like a real weird and like maybe difficult reset and Sean I was sitting in Sacramento the night before the Blazers season opener watching the Lakers get pasted by 40 points at golden state. And all I could think of was, I'm so glad this is not my problem anymore. (laughs) So um, I have not had that experience that I thought I was going to have where I was like, going to really like feel, um, you know, that, that, that whole, like it's been, it's been great to move on, have new challenges, new teams, new faces, um, more, uh, a, you know, a wider, wider swath of stories to pursue mm-hmm. and to um, examine new people to get to know. I mean, that's been the be- the best part of the job. This isn't really what you asked me, but no, it is. Um, it's, but, it's but, that, sort but, of is. but but that is like what you know has made you know leaving that part of my life behind so much easier. Because like, yeah, okay, so it's not my problem anymore. I don't have to deal with the nightmare that was Lakers PR anymore. I don't have to deal with like the complicated layers of you know like you know, what's true, what isn't with the Lakers and who's really running things. And, you know, the, the massive, you know, fight to just get to LeBron on any given night. Like there are a lot of things that are nice to not have to deal with. I mean, there are different problems, right. Right. In the, it, 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 whatever. But, um, but uh, for the most part, it's less about the old thing, not being my problem anymore and being so excited that the new thing is like what I get to do. Right, but when you're when you're covering the Lakers, you know this is especially true when it you know there's like a LeBron or a Kobe there. Maybe less so when it's you know those two years in between them when they were just terrible and nobody there was nothing really worth paying attention to nationally. Yeah. But like, and everybody yet they were every, still the biggest talking point in the league every morning because it was always about you know whatever trade that they were going to make, who they were going to get, right? What, what was going on with Lonzo Ball and his dad? Like it was. It was still it was still the Lakers. Yeah, but, but like the point the point the point here is that you it just by covering the Lakers, not even being on the team or in the organization, just by covering the Lakers, you're a character on the TV show now. And then occasionally and, you'll get and, occasionally you'll get a plot line like when like, like when LeBron was like, "Oh, Bill's always negative." And then he had to tweet out a week later like, "Oh, Bill's actually not that bad of a guy." Like you're a, you're a character on the TV show now in a way that you're never going to be when you're covering a team that isn't the Lakers. 
and yet there have been three TV shows, and I haven't been a character on any of them. Like, there are no royalties. Like, <laughs> just just wait, just... wait until winning time gets up to the LeBron era if they go into, like, season 20 or whatever. <laughs> who, 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 who do I get to play me? That's very exciting to think about. Did you watch... Win- what did you think of winning time? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't finish this the first season. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, not for any, you know moral stand like I know right I, there was a there was a huge there was a huge it was almost like a full like sub industry of the nba right. media of like nba writers getting offended on behalf of jerry west about how like how he was portrayed and by the way i didn't think jerry west came off that bad in winning time yeah i again i didn't finish the season like i i thought in the first couple episodes it was pretty pretty harsh but i think also like i understand to some degree in television you're trying to build right a character arc and you're trying to you know, the character has to start somewhere to get somewhere else. And like real life isn't always interesting enough for your structure. So I get that. I do think that like the, I do think there's something really interesting though, about like the treatment that real people get in like the serial sort of, yeah. um, you know, and the New York times did a story on this the other day where they talked about it, like, as it related to like princess Diana in, in the crown and Jerry West. Um, I think it's a really interesting question because there is like, you get, it's based on a true story. And it's based on sure, but like, you know, then you put these like really poignant and really impactful scenes in that paint a person in a certain light. And it's like, well, that didn't happen. Like, what is the viewer supposed to come away with? Anyway, I like what, what I watched of winning time. I lost it kind of partway through, but not because it wasn't good or I didn't think it was, it, it was compelling. I thought it really was. And I thought some of the casting was unbelievable. Like I thought, um, you know, I thought uh, John C. Riley as, as Jerry Buss was incredible. I thought, the, the guy who played Magic Johnson was, you know, unbelievable. And then I just thought it was, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. It was fun to see basketball um, portrayed that way. And when I, you know, I know Jeff Perlman a little bit. And like, when I heard that his book was going to be, um, was going to be um, turned into an HBO series, I didn't see how, like, it felt very, like, how would you do that? How would you portray the basketball? How would you make it work? And um, I thought the show did work, you know, as, as, as much as I saw of it. So. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, too, and I also thought it was kind of telling how mad everybody who was in it got about it. Well, so, like, I wrote a story, like, after the pilot, and I uh-huh. think that, you know, there was there was maybe some backlash publicly on the Jerry West stuff, but it really got going after um, Gary Vitti talked to me and, you know, really kind of and said that he basically walked off the set because of it. Because Gary Vitti had a cameo in an mm-hmm. early episode. Vitti was the longtime trainer of the Lakers. Yeah. And he had a cameo early on. And he was supposed to do like three more days of filming. And he's like, you know what? This isn't for me. Because like, you know what I'm seeing? The, the, the way I'm seeing Jerry West portrayed is not the guy I know. And so he walked off. And like, and that made, you know, a splash at the time. And to me, that's where I think there's the interesting question, you know, of like, you know, what is the viewer supposed to think? You know, Jerry West is an 85-year-old man who's like, extremely distinguished famously competitive you know battles his demons very publicly um but was not like an outburst like violent you know kind of person like was not drinking at the office like that was you know something that like really offended people who know and love him like to see him like you know being portrayed as like a closet drinker at the lakers facility you know that was not um true to his character and so i do understand why people were upset um I just don't know what, I don't know what the, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I get that it's a TV show and that like that there, there are liberties. And I think that that's just the, the cost of doing business. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it was like there, there were th there were three Lakers shows that came out all around the same time. One of them was that. One of them was the Magic Johnson one on Apple, which I watched the first two parts mm -hmm. of and didn't really feel compelled to keep up with because it was just like the officially sanctioned version of Magic right. Johnson. So it's going to sanitize it. And then I did not watch. Actually, you know what? I think I actually did watch the first like two parts of the Hulu one. And then I kind of lost interest in that one also for the same reason, because it was just like... I don't know. I just I feel I, I I feel like just generally speaking, I know it's like not apples to apples because those two are documentaries and this and winning time isn't. But when the people that the show is about are involved in something and have creative control over it, there's almost no way it's going to be good. The two exceptions are the Ron Artest uh, Showtime documentary and the mm -hmm. Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 because those two guys just, like, do not care about showing the negative parts of their lives and are totally happy to have it be a totally honest and transparent uh, What about The Last Dance? I enjoyed The Last Dance, but I think it would have been better if Jordan didn't have creative control over it. Yeah. I, so I didn't watch the Hulu one or the Magic one um, for largely the same reason. You know, like, I... You know, I know Jeannie Bus, and I know other members of the Bus family, and you know, I understand the desire to like tell their story, you know, their way. Um, but I also just, as a general rule, um, object to the trend of. I, I mean, not not of athletes and, and sports figures wanting to tell their own story. I think telling your own story is great, but I think like in place of you know, you know, really you know, critically, uh, critical eyed, um, you know, journalism, you know, people talking to other people and, you know, you know, independent, you know, storytellers, you know, peeling back the layers of somebody's, somebody's story. Um, so like the player's tribune, I think has like value and its place. Right. But like, I think a lot of athletes see, saw the player's tribune and then it became, if they were going to do anything, they wanted it to be on their terms or they wanted it to be with their people or they wanted it to be, you know, something that they have control over. And I think something really gets lost in the, you know, in the way, you know, sports stories get told when it's being told by the people themselves exclusively. You didn't think that the Draymond Green mini documentary on TNT about the punch had journalistic integrity? <sighs> to me, the best version of those like player podcasts, like or, I, to me, the best or, version of it have you, is the, uh, when it's former players talking to other former players, I really, really enjoy, you know, when All the Smoke or uh, Knuckleheads, which is the Darius Miles, mm -hmm. Quentin Richardson one, mm -hmm. when they have on, like, other former players, like, other retired players who maybe aren't, like, the most well-known guys to, like, yeah. casual fans, and they just go through their whole career. Like, that's a great time, but, like, I yeah. really don't need the, like, Draymond Green goes on his podcast with Kevin Durant and relitigates, you know, that fight that they had in the Clippers game and right. completely glosses over and it's totally revisionist history. I don't think anybody really benefits from that at all. Well, and like I remember when um when Kobe did Muse on Showtime. Yeah. And that was, you know, the the, the thing about that was that was told like basically single lens, you know, on Kobe. Kobe's the narrator, Kobe tells the story. You know, you don't, there, there aren't really other voices in that documentary. Right. And that wasn't the way it was originally done. You know, they originally did a ton of interviews and there was a lot of supporting video where, you know, everybody around the Lakers was interviewed and it was going to be like more of a fully fleshed out documentary about Kobe. And then Kobe sort of changed his mind and decided he just didn't want, he didn't want those other voices. He didn't want it to be like, a, you know, an unfiltered look at how people 
viewed him or like viewed his story. He wanted to tell his own story. And, you know, I thought it was an interesting watch. Like I enjoyed watching it at the time. Um, But I would love to see the footage from everyone else that is somewhere lost to history too. You know what footage I want to see? There's no way Jordan would ever let this out, but one of the things that came out during the last dance was some interview, I think with one of the producers of it Hmm. that they sent the same crew or like they, you know, the, the way that like they had a, the, you know, they had a camera crew filming like every second of the '98, the final bull season. Mm-hmm. That same group or that same crew or that same whoever that was that actually filmed all that stuff filmed every part of both of his Wizards seasons in the same way. Oh wow! That footage exists. I would mm-hmm. love to see that that similar style documentary about Jordan's like. He was still yeah. really good, but like it was kind of sad, and it was weird to see him in a not a Bulls jersey. Yeah. I want to see that documentary and that footage, but Jordan's never going to let that out. Well, and similarly, during Kobe's last season, he had a film crew that yeah. was everywhere on the plane, in the locker room, in the trainer's room, uh, you know, at practice. And so when I say I haven't made any of the shows, I, I mean you yeah, might make that one. I, I think I would be. I think I would be in that one quite a bit. And you know, as far as I know, there was a plan to do something with it. I think you know, obviously. His yeah. death um, may have changed timing, or you know wh- what that looks like. But my, I would I would suspect that there would still be a you know Last Dance style um, documentary using that footage because I mean it was you know a fascinating year and those guys were around absolutely everywhere. So um, I'd be curious to know what comes out of that too. I would like to see that. One other thing I, before I let you go, I want to get this is totally 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 different subject i don't really get too deep into covering other sports on here but something that you have done a lot of work on since you took the job at the oregonian has and i have a lot of i have i'm not i will fully admit i only sort of casually follow this whole story with the timbers and the thorns and uh-huh. Merritt, Merritt paulson and that like that whole situation but i have a lot of friends who are huge uh fans of those teams and a lot of them have told me privately because I think they know that I know you or that we run in like some of the same circles. They Mm -hmm. have told me privately that the stuff that you've written and the work that you've done on that story has been really impactful and that they really Mm -hmm. appreciated, you know, the way that you've covered it and the, you know, the, the amount of work, the the amount of attention that you've given to it. Mm -hmm. And they think that it actually moved the needle. Do you think he's ever, he says he's selling the thorns He's not selling the timbers. I think you and I are on the same page that that's a total half measure and that that's not mm-hmm. an adequate resolution to, you know, w- what went down and what happened on his watch. Do you think he's yeah. ever actually going to sell the timbers or? Um, I'm less confident that he will than I would have been in like October and November because I'm really disappointed about what's happened sort of at the governing body level. Yeah. You know, I think it's... Um, I think that he has been, you know, the support he's gotten from, you know, Don Garber, who's the commissioner of the MLS, you know, and that there hasn't been like really a condemnation from, pardon me, like the soccer federation, I think has sort of given him a pass as the Timbers owner. Like to me, if you are unfit to own the thorns, you know, I don't really see how, you know, owning the timbers is any different. It's not just that you have women on the field, you know, you have women in your organization, you have women who you know work at all levels of your, 
you know, of your, of your company. And I don't know how the women who work for the Timbers, um, you know, can, can, can trust that the issues that existed previously, and then especially within the thorns won't, you know, come up, you know, again in the future. That said, like, I mean, listen, like, I mean, I have been very clear. I think the only real out acceptable outcome was him selling both teams, but you know, the fact that he has, you know, is selling the thorns has removed, has been removed from, uh, sorry, my dog has to go out, but like, uh, has been removed from, you know, operational decisions with the timbers has stepped down as CEO. Um, those are, I think those are significant steps. Um, but it kind of is like the Dana White situation where the person who, you know, committed the offense is doling out the punishment. And I, I think that that is kind of like an athlete telling its own story, right? It's yeah. going to be designed to protect him. And so everything, everything Merritt has done has been designed to like, you know, for him to ensure that he can hang on to the timbers and it's so far working. And I think that, you know, it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens with, um, you know, with this upcoming season uh, with, with the Timbers and how, and how the fan base responds, because I, you know, if you listen to what, you know, the fan base has said and, and kind of what the, 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 the groups affiliated with the Timbers army have said, you know, it's, you know, the pressure is going to remain. And I think if Merritt Paulson, you know, sees that he's still in for a fight and that the, you know, fans are going to show up to Providence park with the banners, you know, you know, telling him to sell and that, you know, and, and protesting Timbers games and that this is going to be an ongoing long-term problem. You know, I think that there's maybe a, 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 there, there could, there could still be a, a sale in the, in the future, but I am disappointed that this was not resolved with one fell swoop, which is like what I think needed to happen. And with um, the, with a more uncompromised figure in the MLS commissioner's office um, probably would have happened. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, you obviously followed the story a lot closer than I have, but I don't disagree with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anything. I mean, Don, Don Garber has just been, you know, has been, has propped up Merritt Paulson for a long time. I mean, Merritt Paulson, you know, was a real gift to, the MLS, you know, he, he revitalized, a you know, a fan base. He put a team in, you know, soccer city, USA, um, built an incredible, you know, you know, revitalized an incredible, you know, stadium and turned it into a, you know, a, a great soccer venue, one of the great soccer venues in the country. Um, Merritt Paulson has been good for MLS. And so has his dad who has pumped a lot of money into it. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, I mean, they are very familiar bedfellows. And, and so, you know, at a time when I think Merritt Paulson needed to be held accountable, I think that there was a real willingness to sort of, um, or an eagerness to kind of make it go away from the top, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Bill, I've taken up an, an hour of your time. You've been, this, this was great. Thanks a lot for doing, what, what do you have coming up on the, at the Oregonian? Just anything specific we should be looking out for? Are you just going to be, you know, covering the Blazers, I mean, covering the Ducks, covering Yeah, the- I mean, yeah, you know, we've got obviously coverage of those things happening. I've got a couple of ideas, I guess I'd say, but not anything that's, uh, I'm ready to announce. I would also direct people to, um, our, our podcast as well, which is yeah. sports by Northwest. I do a weekly episode with usually an interview yeah. and then, uh, Aaron Fentress and Brenna green from coin yeah. are doing a weekly episode, uh, in conversation as well. So sports by Northwest, um, I named it 
uh, went through a lot of a lot of failed pun names for the podcast. That's actually not the, that's did actually. Did you say on Twitter the other day that I shouldn't be allowed to name anything? I, I mean, I think anybody familiar with your body of work would find it hard to disagree with me about that. But, th- but this one was actually not that bad. Like, I, I, I listened to your pilot episode. I heard some of the ones that were rejected. I think you guys ended up in the right place. Uh, I have a great name for a Blazers podcast, if anybody wants it. it. Under the banner of 77. That's not bad. It's great. That's pretty good. I, I think our Blazers podcast is like Blazer blazers burble or something blazer blazer burble blazer <laughs> blazer, blazer burble. babbling blazer babbling burble. blazers <laughs> yeah yeah that yeah i i think under the banner of 77 is a better name than blazer burble i don't know if that's actually the name of it but, <laughs> i don't think it is but it's something but, like that yeah but thanks for doing should, this bill in, instead of instead of just telling people great podcast names i should trademark them and sell them that's what that's I'm not saying. a bad idea that's not a bad idea Second, secondary income Okay, yeah. Sean, thank you Thanks, very much Bill. for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I'll see you yeah, at the yeah. arena this weekend. Yeah. yeah. yeah.